Hello and welcome back to Two Barstools and a Knife, our weekly podcast discussing the ins and outs of the hospitality that now, then, and in the future. As always, we have Professor Brian Connors and Chef John Noble Massey. This week, week seven, we're on week seven already. We're bringing you a two for one. We have two instructors from our teach program, Adrian Biggs and Chris Hopkins, who are master spirits guys in their own rights. We're going to have a lot of fun talking to them today and palling around. Before I get started, though, I do want to talk about how excited we are about a couple things. First of all, as of last month on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all podcast platforms, and our numbers are growing. So thanks to everybody. We have followers throughout the country, as well as France and Australia. Wow. Maybe we'll pick up some more Australians today. Maybe. Maybe that's some of their friends and family. Uh, Number one with a bullet. (laughs) Yes. Also, um, some other big news is our uh, launch of Bacardi Teach. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the beverage classes that we're doing right now. Quick recap of Bacardi Center of Excellence. Brian, what's going on with Bacardi Ah, Teach right now? Good morning, good afternoon, whatever time it is in your world, gentlemen. So uh, the Bacardi Center of Excellence update, as Professor Dodge said, was a lot of work. Uh, And I can see the guys smiling there. It was a lot of work, but we were able to uh, get our modules going on our first phase of Bacardi Teach. Phenomenal job by Team Enterprise, the Bacardi brand ambassadors, Dale Gomez, Christina, the whole team. So, hey, shout out at uh, either, we have two different ways to get there, the easy way way might be BacardiTeach.com, or of course, you can go to BacardiTeach.fiu.edu, and that will bring you right to that landing page. You're able to log on, and we'll be able to kind of send you some information, gain badges. These badges are going to be a form of micro-credentialing that will lead to certification, or how we call our beverage excellent certification. So those are up and running. And we're going to be adding new relevant content on a regular basis. So keep an eye on coming back. It doesn't stop. It's going to be an evergreen type program. Uh, So we're really excited about that. I know in the future, I was talking to Chris and Adrian about that. We definitely have some other goals coming up. So we're just getting started with that. The Bacardi Center of Excellence, the courses, our spirits management track, major, whatever you want to call it, is growing. Most of the courses are in the 20s now, except, you know what, Nathan, my beverage entrepreneurship, that is going to be such a cool class class. because, yeah, and I got six people in it. So listeners out there, let's check that out because this is going to be a 4,000 level course. You know, a little little hint here for you. We're also going to be part of what's called the Bacardi Innovation Challenge. So we're going to be looking at uh, what the industry and what the beverage side or the bar side looks like in 2040. And this is going to have a a lot of, including the two guys we got on today. We're looking forward to stuff coming up. So if it's a requirement for you, definitely sign up. If it's an elective, join us. You'll have some fun. Uh, You know what? I'll be honest. If we get 15 to 16 students, that's perfect. But of course, I'll gladly take some more. Uh, but the other courses, again, are filling up quite nicely on the fun stuff. So uh, hopefully we'll be back on campus come the fall. Uh, the Bacardi classroom will be up to date with some new look and new exciting things going on. I think in a nutshell, that's what's going on in the Bacardi world as of now, gentlemen. Chef Massey, what's going on in your world, bro? You know, uh, just continuing to cook at home. I was speaking to one of my friends, and they're just over the top with the amount of cooking that they've been doing at home. Was I mean, you and I and, and Dodgy were talking about pizzas the other day, and we were getting, I made a roasted veggie pizza, and 
wanted to get your thoughts. Some friends that are pro pineapple and ham on the pizzas, and I have others that are not. So I'd love to get your opinion. That very important subject. Three things that never belong on a pizza are pineapple, ham, or chicken. Chicken doesn't belong on a pizza. Ham doesn't belong on a pizza. Pineapple doesn't belong on a pizza. Bacon, bacon's okay. Bacon's fine, but not in a little prosciutto. Prosciutto works. Prosciutto, if you don't cook it, you put it on after the fact with a little bit of arugula, little oil, then you're fine. Yeah. There you go. Little extra virgin. No, no Hawaiian pizzas for me. Uh, The California Pizza Kitchen can take that stuff. No way. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Is that in Australia? You think is that an Australian? (laughs) What do they they put on pizza? Yeah. You know, when I first came to America. As, and you guys were eating cheese pizza religiously. I'm like, come on, guys, throw some tomato. Let's get involved. You know, pineapple <laughs> does deserve to be on a pizza. And does oh, my God. <laughs> Negative. Right Negative. Delicious. Let's be real. Oh, oh we got to end this podcast early today. So. I think, I think, yeah, I think that's, yeah, that would be appropriate. I do. I, I, you know, that blasphemy. Yeah. The best meme that I've seen on, on social media is the one of the way to serve a pineapple and ham pizza. And they show the pizza and they show the chef tossing it in the garbage. That's my favorite. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> For those of you who just noticed a, uh, a funny accent, Brian, do you want to do the introduction? Uh, I would love to. Don't let the accents fool you guys. They're both from New Jersey. All right. Today, uh, <laughs> what exit? Uh, what today, exit? Yeah, 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 we're yeah. going uh, to be uh, joined by two industry legends in their own mind, but uh, two well-known mixology experts from around the country, globally in some cases, but uh, two great uh, beverage educators. So we're going to have a little bit of fun talking about a little bit about what they, and of course, we want to talk about kind of our state of our industry and kind of check in a little bit. And I want to hear uh, what their insights are, and then we'll uh, have a little bit more fun. So Adrian Briggs, Chris Hopkins, welcome to Two Knives and our Barstool Boys. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having us. This good day. So, hey, Adrian, why don't we start with you, bro? Got into this crazy business uh, and maybe a little bit about your current role with Team Enterprise uh, that supports you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, my journey starts uh, a long way ago. And again, thanks for having us on here. You know, my, my family's been in the food and beverage game ever since I can remember. I've been working with my grandfather and uh, uncle in the, in the school summer holidays at the ripe age of 15. You know, my mum would ship me from Tasmania up to New South Wales to Sydney and say, go work with, you, with your grandfather and keep yourself out of trouble. And uh, I, I had I found this, this place, this being in the kitchen, whether it was washing dishes, making garlic bread, making a chicken schnitzel in the fryer, putting a fisherman's basket together. But I, and I just, just loved it. And uh, my, my, my uh, uncle was on the, on the pass running the, the line and my uh, grandfather was out in the restaurant just rocking and rolling with guests and just seeing the interaction and seeing the smile on everyone's face just kind of it basically injected this passion for the food and beverage industry into me. So luckily I've um, lived and worked in, you know, Tasmania, Sydney, Auckland, New Zealand, London, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and now I find my home in Miami. And, you know, for years I fought against being in food and beverage. I'm like, oh, I've got to find my calling. And it was always there. It was always there. So, you know, it's been a great journey for me. Uh, and it's been everything from restaurant operations, working convention centers, I did a training food and beverage with a big property called Sky City, Auckland, which set me on this path. And here I am today working with Team Enterprises, Bacardi, as a director of charity engagement with a bunch of staff all around North America, putting our passion for the spirit industry and, and cocktails wherever we go. It's been, it's been all. Perfect. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Christopher, 
How about you, sir? I know you got a little uh, colorful past as well. Yeah, it's kind of funny. And uh, as Adrian said, thanks for having us along. It's, a, it's an honor to be a part of this program and, and you know help kind of educate the next wave of hospitality professionals as they kind of go into what is definitely a, a new world, uh, new world order. But uh, my my journey, as it as it sounds, is kind of pretty parallels with Adrian. I started off in the hospitality industry uh, at a younger age, kind of the same thing. Had to do some work to keep myself out of it. Found myself working in hospitality with catering services, so going at sporting events, musical concerts, and things like that, just as a way to kind of make a little bit of money and have a bit of fun. And bit by bit, I kind of just traveled along uh, the hospitality pathway, starting off where I grew up on the other side of Australia. I grew up in Perth, but then uh, it was in the early 2000s, I was running a pub, and one day uh, decided it would be good to go and see the rest of the world. So I took off and moved to London, where I was intending to spend just six months uh, backpacking, traveling exploring European culture and while over there I just found uh, cocktails for the first time because the cocktail scene was really exploding in London and uh, it was one of those things where I guess my own kind of curiosity nature I'm all in for this it was fun and it was enjoyable it was different different and interesting and kind of parlayed that over the next uh, 15 years I spent five years in London before moving to America where I was in San Francisco, much like Adrian. Then I moved to Las Vegas before finding a home here in Miami where I've been for the last almost five years now. So I've done bars, restaurants, hotels, nightclubs, private members' lounges, um, if there's a casinos, if there's a way to serve alcohol somewhere. Um, I've been involved in it in some capacity from a line-level bartender all the way up to general manager and above. So I'm super excited to still be in the industry and, like, again, learning, learning more new things to do with this industry. It's a constantly evolving marketplace. There's always new job opportunities arising. There's new industries developing in micro industries within the field. So it's uh, it's an exciting time and it's uh, it's been very rewarding for my life too. Very cool. Now, how'd you get with uh, Team Enterprise, Chris? Um, I can blame Adrian for that. I knew it. <laughs> um, it's always going to be his fault. Funny enough, he and I, our paths kept crossing in multiple different ways. When I was uh, in Las Vegas, I was running the Cosmopolitan Hotel, and he was the, the Bacardi person who was kind of covering the West Coast region as one of the West Coast regional ambassadors. Um, and he was calling on my hotel, and it was interesting that a lot of people kept saying, uh, you know, you need to meet this Australian guy he's coming up from L.A. You need to meet this guy. And they kept saying to him, you've got to meet Chris. You've got to meet this guy when he's in town. But we kept missing each other somehow. Um, but when we did connect, we kind of hit it off with our, our backgrounds and our paths were very, very similar. We had a lot in common. And obviously, being Australian, there's a, a natural kinship there and kind of a colloquial term that kind of nobody else understands except us that bonded us together. And then when he relocated to Miami, um, I was I had my own company and I was doing a lot of kind of training and education and consultancy programming. And it just happened to be that a position opened up in my current role. And I was working and helping him with that and while they were trying to recruit somebody. And in the end, he's like, you should just come and join us. And I was just like, I don't know, mate. I don't know. I've got my own thing going on here. It's pretty good. I don't know if I want to go back to having a job job. And then he kind of sold me on it. And I, did, I kind of, I'm so glad that he, he did because it's, uh, it's been an amazing opportunity. I mean, just to work with such a great company of people, an amazing group of brands that we get to kind of preach the gospel of, you know, better drinks all the time. And, yeah, it's uh, been very thankful for that opportunity. I know uh, Professor Dodge in there uh, on nightclubs. Yeah, so Chris, you were saying that you, you did a lot of nightclubs and you were at the Cosmopolitan in Vegas. Where do you see the nightclub industry after the, this whole COVID-19 uh, fiasco? 
Uh, you know, that's kind of one that's come up a fair bit. In my current role, I work with uh, what we call our national account partners. So we work with the larger chain hotel groups as well as like casual dining groups. And the nightlife industry is a very big part of that. And, you know, the, the challenges of, you know, social distancing and the kind of, you know, new, new norm of what we're going into can, can work for most, you know, on-premise restaurants and bars and other things because there's a way that you can still maintain profitability and, you know, adapting your services to kind of meet this new demand in the marketplace. But nightclubs are going to have uh, probably some of the larger struggles. Um, most of those hotels, you know, those nightclubs are massive. And, you know, how do you maintain viability when there's not really a product you can kind of outsource or take away with you? And we've seen a lot of innovation. The DJs that are, you know, residents within the nightclubs doing live broadcasts and kind of doing part sponsorships with people at home right now during this stay-at-home order and other things. So their their challenges are going to be a little bit more different than, you know, the restaurant and the bar space that can kind of pivot a little bit, um, seeing as how it's pretty difficult to take a celebratory nightclub experience with 5,000 of your closest friends, say Las Vegas, uh, and do that under the new op guidelines. So I think their their challenges are going to be somewhat tougher than many of the others, unfortunately. Been hearing on uh, Vegas, Chris. Just uh, a lot of the the teams out there and, and struggling. I know nothing's really open yet, correct? Yeah, that was the case until last week. So, uh, it, in somewhat of a surprising turn, I was expecting it to to drag a little bit longer there. Seeing as how Vegas can be such a melting pot of international and domestic travelers that fly in and out, it was uh, Las Vegas Airport, one of the busiest in the world for people coming and going. So there to be a little bit of a delay, but. I guess they've they've had a change of heart and uh, they're they're going they're going full steam officially. Um, they're more in the operation and management side of beverage programming and operations for hotel groups. So they're back on site with a with a view to going live at least in some capacity next week. So um, it's going to be interesting. I mean, the casinos in Las Vegas take everything very seriously. When I worked out that the the health and safety, the the local teams that manage, you know, making sure everyone's up to date with all of their health cards and their codes, and you're making sure you're compliant with everything that's needed to do, you know, proper sanitation in general is incredibly strict. I I quite often said that the hotels in Las Vegas are essentially like a, a stationary cruise ship. You know, you have thousands of people within very condensed spaces, um, a lot of transfer and contact touches. So there was always a very heavy, rigorous training around, you know, what would happen if there was a pandemic or an epidemic or something that kind of started or reached the Las Vegas marketplace. So I think <clears throat> Las Vegas is probably better prepared than many others. And they also have really extensive uh, audiovisual technology and many other things that were predominantly put in place for safety for and theft and things like that, which has been now pivoted and adapted. So uh, health screening is going to be important. They've got like, uh, you know, temperature sensors on all the doors. They've got multiple spot checks. They have armies of staff that can go around and sanitize and, um, you know, a rigorous kind of regimen to kind of install uh, consumer confidence. Vegas were the first big hotel group that I heard of that actually broadcast published their reopening strategy. And that was over three weeks ago to truly let the public know that they, they're they're looking at every aspect. They're crossing every T, dotting every I. And, you know, as soon as the consumers and you know, they're ready to come back, uh, Las Vegas will welcome them with open arms. So it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting couple of things, but I'm excited for it. I think Las Vegas in particular has a very special place in my heart. You know, I spent six years there and it's um, some of my best friends still live there. So I truly hope that, you know, with hospitality being such a focal point of the city, um, with the convention business and everything else that kind of goes through that city, that, you know, the, the public response is going to be strong. And I think the city's going to bounce back. I mean, the hashtag Vegas Strong is a really big uh, marketing piece that came out of such a tragedy in Las Vegas a couple of years ago. So that's not just, you know, a way to get the city back. Battleborn is 
the state of Nevada's kind of motto. So I think I think Las Vegas will come back strong. It's going to be a challenging place, but I. Uh, perfect, you know. And talking about uh, strong, you know, Adrian, you and your team created uh, Bacardi University. A lot of us uh, at FIU have had the opportunity to kind of enjoy that, jump on, learn. And what pe- people don't realize is that you have literally hundreds and hundreds of people that are participating on these live uh, webinars and so on and so forth. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about that and success you've had with that? Because uh, that's getting a lot of buzz as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we this, this catchword at the time is pivot. We did this quick pivot to ensure that all of our field resources, field resources, because we have hundreds of people from ambassadors to Bacardi activation managers, market managers, state managers, regional account managers, and beyond the call on the on-premise and the off-premise. So we, we made a call really fast to to provide like internal with a little bit of external-facing education uh, to our people. You know, this was an opportune time. We don't really get this opportunity that often to literally interact and create connectivity around the entire country. You know, every now and then we get together for a big national meeting and do the high fives, handshakes and hugs. And we, we sort of sit there in this massive group of hundreds of us and, and hear, you know, the top dogs talking to us. But this was a real great way with Bacardi University to chance it exists within our pool of, of ambassadors, of, of field resources. And this uh, personality, Myers-Briggs style personality profiling and how we can interact better with one another as we come out of this, all the way through to uh, understanding fermentation of distillation of every single one of the products within the portfolio. We did a lot of brand deep dives uh, because a lot of the time, you know, you get some brand, whether it be Banks, Bacardi, Facundo Rums, whatever, and you're trying to digest, you know, something off a, off a one sheet. But actually having someone sit there and talk through processes has been excessively helpful. So when we started, and this is, we're eight weeks in now to Bacardi University, we're a single day, uh, often twice a day. So we've done, you know, hundreds of pieces of content and we've actually pulled it back now a little bit uh, as some states are starting to reopen and uh, we, we ease back. But what we're going what we found is we're going to keep this going because this interconnectivity within the Bacardi and, and team universe has been phenomenal. Yeah. You know, so yeah, through, through a cloudy environment, we've created sunshine with Bacardi University. And I think we've upskilled a lot of people, you know, yeah. you know Chris, Chris has done some, some great, some great sessions on cocktails, you know, I've seen the feedback coming through people going, I had no idea the complexity that went into cocktails here. I was thinking you guys just throw three things in a glass, give it a shake and out across the bar it goes. So it's been really, really eye-opening uh, for everyone involved. That's great. You know, I think we're going to have to take a, quick, a big look at all that content. Maybe we'll be able to utilize some of that with the Bacardi Teach platform that uh, both Chris and Adrian, as Professor Dodge said, have been a great part, great help and great support. But as I said earlier, we're just kind of just getting started with that. You know, a lot of our listeners, many of them are FIU students, very interested in the beverage career side. Uh, you both have, let's call it, you know, uh, beverage dream jobs uh, that you both have really cool jobs. Not to say that we don't, gentlemen, Chef Massey and Professor Dodge. We have cool jobs too, but uh, you guys got some pretty cool jobs. We've got and- cool jobs, but I was looking in, yeah. we're all on video. You guys can't see this out in the cyber world, but we're on video and I'm looking at Chris's back bar and, you know, my job's not that cool. occupational hazard (laughs) so uh if you were uh you know a 20 something student uh wanting to kind of go into the 
beverage world. Maybe you got a little bit of time behind the sticks already, but you want to kind of, they want to grow up to be you. How would they go about doing that? I mean, Chris, if you want to start us off, you know, what do you think the best path is to kind of, you know, work with bigger brands and that type of stuff? And then obviously the pinnacle being Bacardi. Good plug there, guys, right? Yeah, yes. thank you. Appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> Kicking it since 1862. Um, well, the one thing I would say is that the hospitality industry today, I mean, it's, it, the lens that we look at is so different. I mean, I think for a lot of students and for those people out there looking to choose hospitality, um, there's never really been a more exciting time to be involved in the industry. There's so much innovation and advancement with technology, things that the career pathways that exist today are just extraordinary compared to when I and Adrian probably got into the industry. I mean, back then it was... You know, you work as a bartender and then you work your way up to like the lead bartender kind of position. And then you want to go to bar manager and then eventually you go to a GM's role with the hope of being uh, an owner or an operator of your own establishment or a grouping establishment at some point. And while those career pathways certainly still exist now, there's been so much more innovation with brand ambassadorship and then uh, consultancy and so many other opportunities. So the one thing I would say is that there's it's never too to kind of roll your sleeves up and learn a different aspect of this industry. Um, if you truly want to lead and run, you know, an organization or an operation of any kind, you've got to know everybody's position. So never be too scared to work hard, pick up dishes and clean when you've got to work as a bar back and restock fridges. If you have to, um, there's no job that's too big or too small in hospitality because we all know that people call out and things break down and everything goes on, but it's like a live demonstration every single day. You know, a bar is a live breathing organism a restaurant is a living breathing organism every single day you open your doors and you don't know what you're going to interact with. so be as open to learning as many facets of the industry as you can our good friend jacob Bryars has a really amazing quote and I, I use it quite a lot and he says you can't learn less you know so really apply yourself to like you can get as much or as little out of this industry as you choose to put into it and adrian and i are testament to the fact that you know if you're looking for opportunities and you're willing to kind of Sometimes put yourself in uncomfortable positions. You can both grow personally, but also professionally and give yourself a lot of amazing opportunities. So uh, embrace it. It's uncomfortable every now and then. It's the only way to go through true growth. But uh, yeah, enjoy it. That's the best thing about this industry. It's a, it's a hard way to make a living sometimes, but it's also one of the most rewarding and enjoyable. I mean, I quite often go crazy. If my 18-year-old self could write their kind of prescription, I wouldn't have even come close to what I actually truly get to do on a daily basis. So yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty blessed thing to be a part of. Embrace it and go after it. Perfect. Any insights on that, Andrew? I couldn't really say much better sense. Uh, but to add to that is just to reinforce really that the hospitality universe is just the most dynamic to be part of. You know, I was so lucky to do a hotel management program within the company and touched everything from I was a housekeeper for a week. I was on the loading dock doing logistics. I was with the butcher. I was in some of the restaurants that we have. Uh, I was concierge for for a week. I touched every single part of it, and every every little piece of it was like you know felt felt amazing. I'm like I could do any part of this. Which which journey should I choose? But I was always drawn back to to the food and beverage operations side. But also the doors that it opens. You know I've lived and worked all around the world because of this industry, uh, and those experiences you know are what counts to me. The experiences I've had living in New Zealand, Australia, working on a cruise ship in Europe working now in America, they've really helped shape who I am. So I'd, I'd encourage people to make themselves uncomfortable and go try and live and work in some some areas where language or you actually know nobody because the joy of the food, food and beverage and hospitality industry is if you don't know anyone, you soon will because you create this massive work. 
Uh, and I don't think any other industry has that kind of connectivity. So, yeah, just just get get involved is what we like to say a lot of. Just get involved and have a try. All, all, all three of us uh, are big travelers and, and, you know, had the – I think, you know, Massey, I know you. I think hospitality yeah. is taking, it's taking me around the world because of my time consulting for cruise ships. I can't tell you how much I love to hear both your history, your background, and the advice for whether it be students or listeners to – do everything they possibly can because I think that just significantly increases your value and career opportunities. So, so kudos. I had a question because me and the the, the guys were, uh, we get the opportunity to travel and with all of your travels, favorite experience has been and uh, beverages you enjoyed on those trips. Ooh. Hopkins, you keep one off. Oh, that's tough. That's like asking you, my parents who's their favorite child, even though <laughs> they'll choose me. Uh, my parents feel the same way. <laughs> I mean, that's what we all say, right? I always say, like, people always ask me on regular days, you know, what's your favorite drink? And I've always got some kind of a smart aleck kind of response, you know, it's that quick-witted, quick bartender thing where it's the one that's just one or anything silly like that. But um, there are some kind of landmark cocktail experiences I've been on. My it's funny, my first ever true cocktail experience in London, I was at a, at a cocktail bar that I, you know, I didn't know anything of. Um, it was just a friend of mine. I was walking around in London, like, we should go in here. And I'm like, ah, it looks too fancy. I'm looking for a pub. But we went into this little cocktail bar and they had a great little menu and I'd never seen one like it before. And uh, the bartender there couldn't tell you who he is. Don't know if he was famous or not or if he became famous afterwards. But he made me a drink called a Bramble. And at the time, I was not a big gin drinker. That wasn't my spirit of choice. I was predominantly a bourbon drink and you know I was gin, gin and tonics was the only thing I really thought of when it came to that cocktail but um, I watched the bartender like crush and smash his own ice and put it in this glass and it's a simple drink you know gin lemon and simple syrup and then with a little lacing of what they call creme de mure which is a blackberry liqueur which I'd never seen before never heard of before but it was the way that he kind of just laced it over the top of the crushed ice and there was this kind of cascading effect as it kind of bled and drizzled through that I was just kind of mesmerized by like and it's a very simple thing, but to me, you know, as a as a young 20s kind of a guy, I hadn't something like that in cocktail world. So that kind of changed my career pathways. And I thought, you know, maybe pubs isn't the way I want to go. I want to kind of expand and learn into the cocktail world. So that kind of sticks with me. But also, I was fortunate enough to go to a, a lot of famous bars and have their kind of iconic cocktails. So I remember that on my, on my first uh, wedding anniversary many, 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 many years ago, uh, I was in Venice. And uh, I got to go to Harry's bar and, you know, have the home of the Bellini sitting on the Piazza San Marco and just having this beautiful sunset in June and just like just enjoying the magic of the moment. And it took me many, many years to realize the relevance and the, the, the importance of that cocktail and how it stands in cocktails, like history behind it. So it's a tough one because drinks are just amazing things. You know, I, I say they're almost like a time capsule of history and whether they became famous at a certain time period or they were pivotal to an economic struggle or a revolution or something else. And you know, drinks really tell a story. So I've had lucky enough to drink in many great bars around the world. So I couldn't really pinpoint more than those. Well, so. Chef Massey, you actually said that before the fringe, fringe benefits we get and, and the roles that we've chosen to, to take on in our lives is phenomenal. You know, if I could do a little bit of a brag for a second, you know, in the last 12 months alone, you know, I've been into Puerto Rico several times. I've been up into London a couple I find I found myself into Italy and to Milan and up into Pessione where they make Martini and Rossi. You know, I've I've travelled far and wide over the last just twelve months. It's it's been phenomenal. 
but I'll keep thinking, I keep thinking back to when I first moved to London in like in seven and eight and I was a little, I was a young Bacardi rep at the time. I, I was lucky that I landed myself a Bacardi uh, sort of account development manager role and uh, I was given this list of accounts to go and call on. I didn't know anybody, but, you know, being Australian and being who I am, I just walk into accounts and say, G'day, guys, I'm Adrian Rep, nice to see you. And I walked into this place and I don't think it's there anymore, but it's called Cotton's Rum Shack up in Camden in North London. And it's a place that Ian Burrell owned at the time with, with some other partners. And Ian Burrell is, is a sort of the rum ambassador to the world. I'm not sure if you know him, but if so, look him up. And this links back to this Bacardi Teach stuff too because I do the quick five-minute category overview. And really it was Ian Burrell that really changed my world on, the, on rum. I sat down in front of him and there's this young upstart and said, hey, g'day, I'm Adrian. He's like, who are you with? He's Bacardi. He's like, I haven't seen anyone from Bacardi in 10 years. What, what the heck are you? Like, oh, I'm just coming to say hi. Can we drink some rum together? I'd love to learn some stuff. And I went back every second week and Ian just kept putting rum in front of me and opening up my eyes to, to that universe. And admittedly, you know, Ian's favourite cocktails were just, you know, nice, easy-going rum punches. And I used to sit there and smash rum punches and sip on rum and then talk to that guy for hours on end. So it was, it was that point in my time that's really linked with me uh, as, as one of my most favourite favorite times of drinking around the world that is awesome adrian i'm a big rum guy so i I, yeah right now my mouth is watering and i'm thinking about Mm. all the times i've had great rum and uh my my two favorite places that i've drinking rum were both in havana so and these are are synonymous with the bacardi brand the original bacardi and uh, i was at la bodega the me sign up on the wall it says i drink my um, mojitos at La Bodega, La Bodega, La Bodega, I can't speak Spanish, sorry. And my dad presents the El, Flor- El Floridita. And it's signed by Hemingway and it's written in his handwriting. And it's just one of, it's, it's, that's what I think of when I drink and I drink rum. And, and it's being, it's, it's embracing the Hemingway culture and really getting back to what the roots of those those beverages are. So that's awesome, Adrian. Thank you for sharing those. Yes, thank you both. Hey, gang, you know, technical question. I know Chris when I say it, but, you know, I have a, you know, a wine background. I'm a nerd, and, you know, I had to go get all those uh, alphabet soup. I was young, 20s and 30s, kind of. I haven't given up yet, but, you know, I got enough of them now. But how do you guys feel about uh, certification uh, for beverage professionals, mainly, you know, mixologists, that type of stuff? And, you know, our... Think of our listeners right now, our FIU students and the others that are coming up through the ranks. Uh, they all want to grow up to be you guys someday. Do you see the value in certifications? And if you do, which ones? Yeah, I think certification is so so vitally important in this day and age. You know, you've heard Chris and my journey. Fortunately, we've we've had a journey of experiences that have afforded us to this position that we're in now. Because you know, when we were coming up through the ranks, it really wasn't much available to us. It was basically jump on to somebody who you see as like an expert in the category and hold on. And that's how I handled it. I had mentors throughout my journey that I was just a sponge. I literally remember my old convention center director, John Godin, and I was sitting there as a 19 year old going, Hey John, how do you make profit out of, out of this beverage stuff? Because here I see we're only making like, you know, 40% on this bottle of wine, but I don't understand how you actually get the boost cost of 28, which you're targeting to. And he actually started telling me about product mix. And I was this 19-year-old kid going, what does that mean? He's like, well, young, young, young Aussie, because I was sitting in New Zealand at the time, think about a juice. You know, I sell, I sell a juice for three bucks, but it's costing me 20 cents. So my product mix is working out. However, if I hadn't had those mentors, it would have never worked out that way. So if you can find 
certification and education that can help you streamline that path to success, I'm 100% all about it. And to me, what's vitally important and where, where legally appropriate is to uh, taste, 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 taste. You know, I was very lucky at Sky City in my trainee management role, and I did a, manage, uh, a traineeship, to taste wine every Thursday for 18 months of, of my training, every single Thursday. So what happened? My, my palate developed so fast, or in a year and a half, and this memory bank of flavors just went through the roof. And that has basically driven me up through my career. So I would highly recommend trying to search out certification as hard and fast as you can. And, you know, you are the epitome of, of certification and, and, and degrees within the hospitality universe. So this is the first point of call, to be honest. Yeah, I couldn't say that really any better, actually. I mean, I, as Adrian said, we were, in some ways, I think I've been very lucky that uh, despite the fact that I don't look it, I'm in my mid-40s. And back when I was first getting in, certifications didn't really exist. I mean, for probably the first 10 years of my career, I think my second conversation with every single guest that interacted with any of the bars I was at was like, yeah, but what are you going to do when you graduate? You know, that was always the thing. You know, you were only a bartender or you're only working in the bar industry because you were waiting for your degree to be finished before you could go on to your adult job or your real job. And it's kind of funny that, you know, over the, over, particularly over the last 15 years with the renaissance of kind of craft cocktails coming back into focus and really a big emphasis on farm to table food and other things, it's kind of progressed that hospitality and like that really desire to, to find the best, the biggest, the brightest, the, the most amazing cocktails in the world has become a career. So much so that you can now, I mean, amazingly through FIU's program, there's a certification or a pathway that's dedicated just to the spirit side of business. And, you know, Brian, you mentioned that, you know, the wine industry has been all about that alphabet soup and that certification and the badge to get to your level one and then you got to get to your level two and then you want to like, you know, ruin your life by going after like a level three or something that in the wine courses. But those kind of things have never really been kind of, I guess, put towards the lens of cocktails and certainly not, you know, the way that we think of the mixology world because it's fast moving, it's ever changing. And, you know, there hasn't really been one kind of entity that I guess could create or have the credibility behind it to really, you know, say that this is something that can be globally recognized as a standard rather than something that's just put together by, you know, one or two individuals. So it's, education is, is, as Adrian said, you get it from everywhere. I've, I've been the same. I've had mentors throughout my career. I've, I've left bars, not because I wasn't enjoying learning anything new or I was kind of stunted in my growth. So I was always looking for more opportunities because there's, there's such a great big world of spirits and beverage out there. And I just wanted to get a part of it. And as Adrian, you know, said, you know, learning the wine side is important. You know, even if you're, if your passion is bourbon, uh, understanding how wine people talk, understanding how beer makers have their conversations and use their language can only translate into a pure beverage professional. And you can still be more focused on a spirits and mixology side that there's a larger beverage world at play is something incredibly important. So I always say, take your education where you can find it. If there's an opportunity, embrace it. Um, and as I said earlier, you know, you can't learn less. And, you know, the more that you know, the more valuable you are to an organization, the more versatile you can be for your career and the more opportunities and pathways that will open up in front of you. Yeah, I, I agree. And I love how you kind of tied that into the beverage professor. You know, you're not just a, a Psalm, you're not just a Cicero, you're not just a mixologist. You know, that's where a lot of, you know, young professionals, young students now should be looking. If you want to stay in the beverage world, you got to know, you know, you got to become that generalist before you become a specialist. You know, you got to know a little bit about all that type of stuff. And Dodgy, I know uh, you're going to be uh, working 
with say, wine educators with a certified spirit specialist in your course, right. yeah. um, which is, you know, hey, that's not an easy test. You know, no. it's, you, you no, got to get not. after it, you know, so all well and good. So let me get to the, the fun questions now. And this is going to be for everybody because now uh, I've been having too much fun getting creative or it's all PG-13. And of course, you know, I already hinted the guys so I was going to ask him about dive bars, but I decided not to. You guys already talked about your favorite bars. Mm-hmm. So uh, on the... I'll start it out, and then I'll throw it over to uh, Adrian. And then I'll just go like the, the Nathan and Chris here across the, uh, our screen. But, you know, what won't you drink? You know, we all have something we won't drink that will sit in the fridge. Tequila, 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 tequila. No, tequila. stop that. <laughs> stop it already. Oh, no. Good Spoiler. Dodge. Yeah. Like, for example, you know, I'm not a huge Chardonnay guy. I'll drink white burgundy, but I had a bad, not a bad experience, but that's probably where Dodge is coming from with tequila. If there's, um, the last thing I'll grab uh, or order is a glass of Chardonnay. And if I have to drink it and I'm at a cocktail party, I'll be the guy squeezing a few drops of lime juice into the Chardonnay to cut through that malolactic fermentation, bring up the acidity. Adrian's laughing because he knows exactly what I'm talking about. So, uh, so Adrian, you first, brother. What won't you drink? It's, uh, I hate to say it because it's super popular, but um, IPAs. Man, I uh, I can't stand IPA. And I think it's honestly because uh, I have a susceptibility to that high IBU content. So for me, drink, drinking pins and needles across my palate. So if it's in, if it's in, if it's in the, the bottom of the cooler and the last beer left there and there's a whole bunch of White Claws, I'll go for the White Claw and I'll skip the IPA, even though I'm hunkering for a beer. Yeah, uh, and he, he talked about just basically the bitter side where bitterness would really kind of bother him. And on episode two, we talked about why you liked what you liked. IPA for Adrian, Chef John Noble Massey, what won't you drink? Well, uh, we're, ch- we're talking about now, talking maybe 10 years ago, there was a period of time, I think, from when I graduated to whenever that was, it was 10 years where I didn't drink tequila because of a nasty tequila story. And I don't want to get into that here. But... I will tell you that 99% of the things that come out of Italy, I love, but I went and traveled there this holiday season. I went to the Modena area, went to a Parmigiano Giano manufacturer, and they serve Lambrusco. And I just can't stand Lambrusco. It, it, is, it is far too sweet. It is far too sweet. I am sweet enough. You're drinking the wrong Lambrusco. It's just that easy, man. I love no, it's it was uh, it was awful. And, I, and I love Parmigiano. So Riuniti is not nice. Wait, I worked for the company that created Riuniti back in the day, so I had to like the stuff. <laughs> yeah, please. But, uh, all good. Thanks. All right, Nathan Dodge. Uh, besides tequila, obviously not a Patron processor or Casagodas, uh, <laughs> but. Uh, what won't you drink, Nathan Dodge? Listen, I've been to your house. Most of us have been to your house. <laughs> yes, yes. So my, my bar is, you know, it kind of looks like Chris. Not all the uh, the Cardi brands. I, I have got a little bit of everything. Equal opportunity. I, I'll, every day I'll drink something different. It's just, and um, like you were saying, it, it's something that happened in my past. I don't want to talk about it. But tequila was was the reason. I've got great bottles of tequila. I just, if it's in a, a margarita, sure, I'll drink it. Um, and I'll enjoy it. I, I enjoy a margarita. But just a, if you put a shot of tequila in front of me, I don't care if it's 
$100, bottle or gut rock. It's just going to taste the same. I can't do it. Not we my can take taste. those bottles off your hands then, the ones you don't want. But as far as the, uh, the, the, the A's, see, I like the bitter stuff. So IPAs are great. I love an Amaro. Oh, shoot. What was I drinking the other day? I was drinking Fernet. And, and like, you don't get much bit, bitter than that. So, yeah, um, I'm on the other side of the, the spectrum. You know what I want to do one day? I want to come to one of your guys' classes. And I, uh, I, we did this test a while ago with a, a bit of TPC paper. And it's basically a... Um, tech- you about THC? No, 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 TPC <laughs> oh, paper. Oh, sorry. Ultimately, <laughs> yeah. you put it on your palate. Some people will have a vulgar response to it, not to the obviously vomiting or anything. Won't taste a thing. So it's like a uh, genetic uh, identifier, to be honest with you. So you, you pass it around a group of 20 people and you'll see some people just screw up their nose and go, oh my God, what have you done to me? And others go, you guys are loco. I can't taste a thing. So it's actually quite fun to do with it, with, it, with some crew uh, to see how they react because I found a few people that have taste, had the paper and actually been susceptible to the t- taste have gone, yeah, IPA and I are not fans either. So interesting little scientific experiment to do. Very cool. You know, Chris, you don't have to get into salt and lime and tequila to explain it to Nathan. You can wait for another time for that. But all right, Chris Hopkins, what won't you drink? So I'm I'm not going to brand bash, but there's a specific product that I won't touch ever again, but I'm not going to call that one out because that would be rude. Um, but it, it, more categorically, there's, there's, a, there's a thing that I – there's two things I detest personally when it comes to drink. That's the thing with a diet mixer. Um, <laughs> you put – aspartame or any of those fake sugars in anything. I don't understand how anybody drinks them. I personally can't stand that saccharine fish finish that's kind of waxy and just, it destroys a drink for me. Like a Bacardi and Coke is delicious. A Bacardi and Diet Coke is an abomination, but that's the personal choice. Uh, the other one is a, any dirty martini with gin. I don't quite understand it. You know, the bright citric botanical nature of gin, it's like robust, it's floral. There's all these beautiful, like amazing botanicals that have been sourced from all around the world. And then to dump a bunch of dirty olive juice in it that just dumbs it all down and dulls all those flavor profiles. I personally don't get it. I don't mind it with vodka. I'm completely okay with it with Grey Goose or anything else. But when it comes to gin, dirty martinis, to me, that's just a go. I'm not, I'm not doing it. I'm, not, I'm sending it back. Actually, I probably won't send it back. I'll probably just split it into a couple of shot glasses and shoot it with friends. But, you know, it's just, <laughs> the two things, diet, diet sodas and dirty gin martini. Then what about the, no the pickleback? Are you okay with the pickleback? Uh, I'm okay with it, actually. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind the taste of pickles. The funny thing is I don't like pickles in my burgers, but I don't mind it as a chaser <laughs> behind a whiskey. And Probably because the first time I tried it was a, an Irish whiskey that I'm not a huge fan of. So it kind of helps kind of soften out that kind of over-the-top sugar thing. But... uh I, I have a, a fondness for the, the pickleback because it's, it's a dive bar staple. You know, it's one of those things that that's where I first came across. It was in a, a dirty little dive bar and I had no idea. The first one, the bartender said, I was like, there's no chance I'm going to do that. You're out of your mind. And then, you know, after about four of them, I thought it was not a bad idea. So, um, you know, that's kind of how it is. You taste one. Nah. Oh, let me try another one. Oh, okay. That's not bad. All right. Let me do another one. By the time you've had four, you're like, all right, I get it. It's fun. Can I get another beer? Jeez. No. Nathan Dodge, that was the story of your life right there. I, I, you know? I might go back to tequila. I don't know. See, I, I've never had a pickleback. I've had, I've been offered them and it's like, eh, just, just let me drink my, my scotch. Well, not my scotch, but my Irish whiskey and, and be happy with it. So yeah, I've never there tried it. Maybe one day. 
All right, so we're, we're getting the high sign to wrap it up here, gang. Uh, this is a fun conversation. We can, I think we need cocktails to continue it, though, you know? Maybe just no IPA for Adrian. I'm worried about you now, brother. Uh, John Mass. 10 o'clock in the morning. Hey, hey, hey. It's, <laughs> what's the great cliche? It's 5 o'clock house. Yeah, guy. They knew that was coming, so mm-hmm. all good. Go. Uh, Chef Mass, you got anything, sir? No, I am good. Thanks so much, guys. This was a really enjoyable conversation. Love you both for coming on and appreciate the support from Bacardi. Absolutely. Nathan Jodge, sure. You got anything going on? Uh, not really. Just teaching, doing my thing. Make sure that you do check out our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you find uh, podcasts. And that you give us a good recommendation. Give us five stars so that we can be found by other people who are looking for something weird and interesting to listen to. Perfect, perfect. Adrian, Chris, uh, now instructors at the Bacardi Teach program, uh, available uh, online now. Check it out if you get a chance. If you have any questions regarding the Bacardi Center of Excellence, you can reach out to me at bconnors at fiu.edu. Uh, we'll help you out. Uh, follow the Bartenders Guild. They're doing some great stuff. I heard they got some guy from Australia joining them today. Uh, I don't know if that's true. Oh, yeah, Adrian's going to be joining and them today so that's great adrian thank you for doing that uh and the new website for the bacardi center of excellence is being launched too that will be a one-stop shop for all the information that you need so on that note guys thank you again we do always appreciate it christina yuli fantastic and uh, massey and professor dodge always a pleasure thanks guys appreciate your time